We are in a golden age of great television, with both long-standing, culturally dominant series and new series still finding their audience, capturing the zeitgeist of 2010's pop culture. And because of the overwhelming amount of content being released, it is nearly impossible to stay up to date on all things culturally relevant in TV. The commitment is too much, the hours are too few, and binging multiple seasons of a TV show seems less and less realistic for the average person. Which is why I became enamored with the short form. Bite-sized pieces of content, easily digestible but still fulfilling, many series, shows with either shorter seasons or shorter episodes or both, ask less of the viewer while trying to deliver more. I've always believed that having stipulations on a creation can produce more original, fresh, new, and exciting ideas, and when it comes to the two series I'm going to talk about today, they've really convinced me on the fact that less can be more. I'm Aoi Kambata, and you're listening to Mind Theater, the show where I analyze art from visual mediums exploring my personal history with them, and revealing what makes them so compelling. In this episode, I'll be taking a look at the shows Russian Doll and Chernobyl, and seeing what they have to offer both the casual and diehard TV fanatics with only so much time in their hand. This is Short Form. The first series I'm going to take a look at is Russian Doll, created by and starring Natasha Lyonne. And the basic premise of the series is that the main character, Nadia, is living this experience in which she repeatedly dies over and over again in an ongoing time loop. And whenever she dies, she's reset to her 36th birthday party taking place at her friend's New York City apartment. And a brief character summary of Nadia is she is this quick-witted, sarcastic, video game software engineer who views the world through a lens of cynicism and sarcasm. And the series chronicles her quest to uncover why she keeps experiencing death, and by extension, how she should go about stopping it. First, I want to give a nod to Natasha's performance in the show, which is so incredible. She is funny and lively in a way that makes her commanding of a scene that much more powerful. Every word or phrase lifted from her mouth is just truly a joy to hear. And part of the way Nadia speaks and acts is sort of this front we learn over time to mask her own insecurities about herself about the way she views life. And in this series, the comedic moments are given as much time to breathe as the darker, more harrowing moments, which is one of the things I really love about it. There is a scene in one of the earlier episodes where Nadia, in an attempt to leave the house party early, keeps dying trying to walk down the stairs, and it's played as a montage with funny music, and she keeps tripping over herself and over people and dying over and over and over again, just trying to escape this party. And it all eventually leads to her resolving that the safest way to leave is via the fire escape. And if you step back for a moment, you sort of realize how dark that really is. The fact that she's in this inescapable place, just trying just trying to truly escape death frantically and frenetically. And I feel that this show is sort of a commentary on death. What does one do when they're faced with their own mortality repeatedly? And for others, that answer can be kind of tricky, but given Nadia's background as a software developer working at a video games company, this concept of high-level game-like problem-solving is a medium she already understands. And as she tries to get to the bottom of this existential horror, she first blames drugs, then in part turns to religion and the supernatural for answers. But the main driving force of her trying to resolve this death mystery occurs when she first meets Alan. Alan is this meticulous 
almost neurotic man who is obsessed with routine. And he shares a quality with Nadia in that he also repeatedly dies over and over again. And after they meet, their paths become truly intertwined for the first time. And they begin this journey of self-discovery and self-uncovery. Nadia and Alan represent these two conflicting schools of thought in terms of how they view the world and the universe and, and purpose at its core. And their dynamic and their relationship as characters is really something that adds a curious depth to the series that pushes the last half of the season towards a fantastic finish. And I'm really excited to see the direction they go in for season two because uh, the season one ending left a lot of questions unanswered, but it also showed how dark the series was willing to go in terms of how Nadia and Alan, to an extent, examine themselves, how they're forced to look themselves in a mirror, and Nadia uncovers past trauma and she's forced to face it valiantly or see really the world around her come crashing down in front of her. And overall, I'm just really excited to see what they do next season. Chernobyl is a historical drama miniseries created by Craig Mazin, and it's centered around the Chernobyl nuclear disaster near Pripyat in 1986. The show takes place directly in the aftermath of the disaster, and it tells the known and lesser-known stories from the firefighters who were first responders to the explosion scene to volunteers and miners tasked with the self-sacrificial task of digging a tunnel under Reactor 4, and this series carries on its shoulders the weight of trying to remain true to the events that happened some 30 years ago, while also being palatable enough for us viewers. And there are creative liberties Mason takes as a part of this process. Things like most of the voice actors have sort of vaguely Eastern European accents, a few British ones rather than Russian accents. Uh, or characters like Ulana Komyuk, who wasn't a real person but is designed as this composite character. She represents the many scientists who worked diligently putting themselves in danger in the search for the truth, the truth of the disaster. And this series is mostly about us trying to uncover and figure out how a nuclear reactor would explode and witnessing how the government, the USSR, tried to cover it up more than it is about leading up to the disaster. The disaster is actually one of the first things that happens in the show. But overall, these specific decisions that Mason makes don't distract from the messages and themes of the miniseries, which for me represents how far will a government go to maintain their image rather than face the consequences of their own actions. And one of the things I find most compelling about the series is how the characters' competing motivations dance off each other. Jared Harris plays the main character, Valerie Legasov, and... He is deputy, direct, deputy director brought in to help with the disaster cleanup efforts. You have Stellan Skarsgård as Boris Sherbina, the Council of Ministry, the Council of Ministers deputy chairman, and you have Emily Watson as Ulana Kamyuk, a nuclear physicist. As I mentioned before, she's this composite character who represents the scientists in the USSR at the time. And throughout the series, Valerie has these two conflicting groups he has to entertain 
while trying to ascertain the truth of the disaster. And Sherbina represents the governmental side of things, the USSR that likes to keep things under wraps, revealing as little as possible to the great people of the region. And he represents those who would rather do damage control for self-preservation rather than protecting the innocent lives affected by the tragedy. Whereas Kamiak represents the scientific perspective of the time. As I stated before, Kamiak is a composite character. She doesn't really exist, but her role in the show is to provide insight to the great minds who were tasked with understanding how a nuclear reactor would explode in the first place, a concept initially thought to be impossible. And Valerie juggles these two groups he has to please, and it becomes integral to the story as it heads towards the end game in the final episodes. But the series shows us harrowing moments of bravery and self-sacrifice in the face of mortal danger. One of my favorite scenes in the episode depicting this comes from episode 3, Open Wide O Earth. And in it, these group of coal miners are tasked with excavating a tunnel near the reactor site. And the head of the miners, named Glukov, is this tough, hard-as-nails, hard-headed guy who is very funny and just a great... One of my favorite characters in the in the series. Just a really funny, great commanding uh, screen presence. And he asks one of his superiors to give him and his, and his minor workers fans because the conditions in the tunnel are simply brutal and almost unbearable. It's just so inconceivably hot. And this request is put in so that they could at least feel a little better while they're digging a tunnel near a nuclear reactor. And it's sort of hilariously turned down as being a health risk, the idea that the fans could spray dust or radiated dust into the miner's face and that wouldn't be good. And later when Legosov and Sherbina come to check on the progress of the miner's tunnel, they are dumbfounded to see that every single miner is working on the tunnel naked. And Glukov, when he meets them, he sees them, he says, you know what, you wouldn't give us fans, it's too hot for clothes, so we're digging the old way, the way our father's mind. And <laughs> Valerie sort of sheepishly suggests that, well, since they're naked, they aren't as protected now. And Glukov replies back, you're telling me that would make a difference? And Legosov simply can't reply because it's he knows that it really wouldn't make a difference. They're so close and near to a nuclear reactor that it really doesn't matter what kind of protection they have if it's not going to be, you know, like strong industrial type of uh, types of protection. And when Sherbina or when Glukov asked Sherbina if the miners would be looked after, like their health taken care of after they finished digging this tunnel, Sherbina in that moment, he can't even lie to Glukov. He tells him simply that he doesn't know. And the look that Glukov gives back to him speaks volumes of how this group of miners sort of viewed their service to the USR and their service to their country. You know, Glukov knows they've essentially given them being the USSR, everybody involved, they've given the miners a death sentence. And even in the face of this death, he's unable to be bullshitted, essentially. And this scene shows us not only the sense of duty that the miners, not just the miners, but, you know, the firefighters and the first responders to the Chernobyl scene felt to their country, but how the selflessness was actually expected of them. They didn't really have a choice in the matter. It was something they had to do, something they didn't necessarily take joy in doing, but it was something that it was, it was, it was something they had to do. And it seemed like this that are my favorite, when people like Legosov and Sherbina have to sort of 
lift the veil from their eyes and look at the horror that has been brought about from, you know, negligence of the higher-ups, basically. And my main takeaway I got from this series is that reality is oftentimes a lot darker or more gruesome than what anything fantasy can conjure up. And this show isn't for the faint of heart. It's visually horrifying. There are people and animals that are that die and are killed and thousands of lives that are changed forever. And it it really looks like a horror film, a horror movie, a horror show brought into reality. When you realize that what you're witnessing isn't so far from the truth, it becomes a really dark sort of series to digest. But I feel like if you're enthralled by the drama of the spent and have a deep need to uncover the stories of the people affected, you shouldn't look any further than Chernobyl. What the success of series like Russian Doll and Chernobyl tell me is that sometimes in order to give a story its proper weight, you need to deliver in a format that makes use of the work's best qualities. And the half an hour, eight episode season of Russian Doll is quick, it's punchy, it's easily bingeable on a lazy weekend, and it doesn't overstay its welcome. Which I, while I couldn't really even conceive of Chernobyl as something other than a five-part miniseries. And you know, I think the idea of a series leaving you wanting more is a bit misplaced. You know, Russian Doll is due for a second season, but I feel like a complete season of a show or a miniseries should simply satisfy that curious itch that you maybe didn't know you had. And whether it be an itch for self-reflection through death-defying time loops, or the itch to uncover a government's darkest kept secrets, sometimes I feel like the short form is just enough. Mind Theater is a solo effort produced and written by me, A.O. Ekingbade. To subscribe, look for Mind Theater on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. For updates on the series and upcoming episodes, follow Mind Theater Pod on Twitter. Thanks for listening. I'll catch you next time.